Amen. Thank you all. Sorry I got a little dry throat this morning. We're finishing up our relationship series this morning. We spent four weeks looking at relationships from different angles. Uh, Brothers and sisters in, in Christ, the church relationship, marriage. Uh, last week we looked at being pals. And uh, this week we're looking at neighbors. Our fourth look at relationships, and that is looking at neighbors. So, um, talking about being disarmingly kind this morning. Being disarmingly kind, and we will be in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. If you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, there should be one in front of you, and you're welcome to take that with you. If you do not personally have a copy, please take that with you. Um, but whatever the case may be, we'll be in Matthew 5, 43 through 48 this morning very, very soon. Uh, so we're talking about kindness, being kind, and uh, just a little story I read this, this week on the difference that kindness makes. Uh, there was a, a lady named Mammy Adams, an, an elderly lady that liked to go uh, to the post office in her town, um, and she liked to go there specifically because the postal employees were friendly to her. Uh, she gets there at Christmas time, and there's a long line waiting for stamps, as there can be sometimes a line at the post office. And someone bumps into her and says, Ma'am, uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you're just getting stamps, there's a machine right over here where you can get your stamps and skip the line. And she says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to wait in the line so I can get up there uh, to the postal employees. And the guy says, why would you do that just for stamps? And she says, well, that machine is not going to ask me how my arthritis is doing. And, uh, you know, something that simple can really, can really make a difference in people's lives. Um, so that's, we're, we're talking about kindness, and we kind of want to have that in mind as we dig into this today. We're looking at Matthew, um, the Gospel of Matthew, or he's, all, he's also called Levi in the Gospels. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is, is really the, the Gospel to the Jews. Uh, it was a very early Gospel. It was written in the early to mid-50s. Um, G- Matthew, although he was added as an apostle, after Jesus has gone back to heaven after the resurrection, uh, Matthew was there the entire time through Jesus' ministry. Uh, that's why he was one of the ones that was possible to be chosen as an apostle to, apl- to replace Judas. So Matthew is literally an eyewitness to the three-plus years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he was also a tax collector, and tax collectors could, could write in shorthand, which means they could write really quickly uh, when listening to someone speak. Uh, so his, his, his gospel is very detailed. Uh, it quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel that we have um, because it was primarily written to a Jewish audience proving that Jesus was the Messiah, therefore the Son of God, therefore the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, it's, a, it's an extraordinary gospel. I love, I love the gospel of Matthew. Where we're picking it up today is a very, very well-known spot in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, or as I've told the students a dozen times through the years, the sermon that changed the world. He preached a sermon that changed the world. It is a sermon that still challenges us very deeply every day as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And we are jumping right into the middle of that. And he's, he's kind of talking about, this is a section where he's talking about, you've heard it said, but I say. So you've learned this from culture, you've learned this from your religious leaders, but I say. That's the section that we're looking at here. And uh, it was definitely a section that would have really, really rubbed the, uh, the religious leaders and the, and the self-righteous the wrong way uh, in its time. So that's where we're at. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says, You have heard 
that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says, he starts off with, you have heard it said. You have heard that it was said. Very, very simply, what he is saying is, you've heard this said from people, said from people, religious leaders, but notice that what he doesn't say in this section, in this entire section of Matthew. He doesn't say, the scriptures say. He doesn't say, the law and the prophets say. He says, you have heard it said. In other words, what you have learned is from man. What you have learned is restrictions and laws and regulations that, that man has placed on you. You haven't learned what, exactly what God has said, and you're doing things that are contrary to God's word, to, God, to God's law. You have heard it was said, Jesus is saying, doesn't mean that what was said was coming out of Scripture, coming from the law, and the prophets would have been the way that Jesus would have said it then. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, love your neighbor is from Scripture. We, we know that. It's all over Scripture. The first time it's, it's really there as far as the regulation is Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, Leviticus says. So that is in there. And that's the way, that's the way half-truths and manipulative people and, and self-righteous religious leaders and self-righteous followers of religious leaders, that's what we do with, those, with, with God's Word. They take just enough of it and then mix it with what they want it to say that it sounds like it's truthful. And that's what they were doing then. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, 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 the leaders of the, of the Jewish nation, for years and years, the rabbis, for years and years, had added and added and added. There's a book, it's called the Talmud. It's the, it's the extra rabbinical writings. The rabbis wrote extra things that go with what God's Word says. As if the 600-ish laws in the Old Testament weren't enough, they wanted to make sure they spelled it all out exactly for their people. It says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, people didn't need to know or want to know how to love their neighbor. They, they knew how. They had learned that. They, they wanted to know, who is my neighbor? That's the, that's the story that Jesus goes into with this, with. The Good Samaritan, right? The guy even says, well, then who is my neighbor? Because he was a little self-righteous. What is he asking when he says that? Jesus, I'm asking you, how far do I have to love? What's the extent to which I have to love? I have to love my neighbor. So the, so the, so the man teaching of that was, well, love your neighbor, but your enemy, well, that's okay. You can dislike him. You can dislike her. You can be, you can be, you can be bad to her. To hate your enemy is to, is, to do, is to do things that you shouldn't do to them. So they wanted, they wanted to know, what is the extent to which I have to love? And that's what they were taught. Love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. And then he gets flipped on his head. Jesus does that. He's good at that. But I tell you, he says, but I tell you, I tell you, not them, 
Not the, the, the traditions, none of that. What I tell you. This is, in other words, I'm saying that what they're saying, and they were listening to him as he said this sermon over and over and over as he traveled throughout the countryside. What I say is that they're wrong. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. They're wrong. That teaching is wrong. It's not God's way. So he's saying, I'm over the religious leaders. They're wrong. What I say is what God says, because I am God, Jesus is saying. They tell you this, but I say, me, God in the flesh, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which if you're, I don't know, if you're a little bit like me, if you have a little bit of a competitive streak, sometimes that verse just rubs me the wrong way. That's a difficult verse to swallow. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I have found the easiest way to apply this verse. So we'll see if some of you can get there with this. This is the easiest way that you can possibly apply this truth. There was a reporter that went to a dude that was 100 years old. Okay, big, big celebration. The guy's turned 100. That's a big deal. And the reporter asked the man, what are you most proud of about your life? And the man stopped for a second and he thought and he said, well, I'm proud that I have not an enemy in the whole world. And the reporter said, man, that's how beautiful, how inspiring. What a, what a great response. And the man said, yep, I outlived every single one of them. <laughs> I, that's one way to not have to worry about this. <laughs> Look, love your enemies, Jesus says. In other words, another way you could say this is everyone is your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what the, Jew, the Jews wanted to do, and that's what we still do to this day. How far does this love thing go? My neighbor, okay, does that mean the person living next to me? Does that mean just followers of Jesus that come to church? How far am I taking this thing? How far do I, who all does it extend to the point that I have to pick up the pack and carry it an extra mile? How far does this go? And Jesus says very simply, everybody, anybody, anybody in your sphere of life, anybody in your sphere of influence, anybody that is in your life is a neighbor, Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whew. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I think we're pretty good at praying for the persecuted, but when's the last time you or I or anybody stopped and prayed for the persecutor, the person doing the persecuting? Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, not just those who get persecuted. We'll do that. Pray for those that are persecuting. Now, that's a high standard. That's an impossible standard by man's standard. Jesus says, do this, why? So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When you conduct yourself like this, Jesus says, you are acting, you are conducting yourself, you are behaving, you are reflecting God on earth. When you can love past those that you are, it's easy to love. When you spread your love around to everyone, when, in other words, when you are kind to people who do not deserve your kindness, you are reflecting God's nature. You show that you've inherited what, fa- what the Father, what God the Father has given you, what He has given His children. What has He given us? He's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit if we have received 
the Holy Spirit. And that gift from the Holy Spirit was paid for by the blood of his son, paid for by the blood of Jesus. It is a precious, priceless gift that we have been given. And Jesus is saying that when you conduct yourself this way, you are using that gift. You are reflecting that gift. You are reflecting God on earth so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, because this is what that means. Because God does this. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we have a problem with that. If you're honest with yourself, you have a problem with that. At some point in your life, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, or maybe tomorrow, when you see someone that you know is gaining in life through unrighteous ways, you have a problem with that. And so do I. It's difficult. That is one of the hardest pills to swallow. But why does God allow that to happen? Because God doesn't love conditionally. And he's calling us not to love conditionally. God loves his creation. He has created all things, all peoples, and he allows all peoples to experience and benefit from his goodness. Some more than others. And do you, if you live the right way, does that benefit you more? Of course it does. Of course it does. But it's difficult to see the person gaining through unrighteous ways. I've heard that so many times in my life. I, I don't understand that. What, what's the point of even doing the, doing the right thing? If they get, away, they get away with it. He gets away with it. She gets away with it. She got promoted. He got that new job. He got a raise. He got the, he got the girl. She got the guy, and they went about it the wrong way. I don't understand that. God says, <laughs> then you don't understand love. You don't understand my love. My love is not conditionally based, which is very freeing when you come to an understanding of that. When you realize that God doesn't stop loving you if you miss your 15-minute devotional time in the morning. When you realize that when you stumped your toe and said what you shouldn't have said, God didn't stop loving you then. Does he want any of those things to happen? No. Does he want you to spend time with him? Of course. Just like you want your children to spend time with you. Or students just like you want to spend time with your friends. Of course he wants us to spend time with him. But it's not, his love is not conditionally based. Thank God his love is not conditionally based. He says, I cause good to happen for all people. I allow good to happen for all people. I love everything that I have created. The one thing he doesn't love is sin. And he goes on, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. <laughs> That's a little ironic. Because who's writing this gospel? <laughs> a tax collector. You ever thought about that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus says, Loving the lovable is easy. Loving the lovable is what anyone and everyone can easily do. You don't have to follow Jesus to love your kids. You don't have to follow Jesus to care for your friends that care for you. You, you don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to have faith in God to do that. You ever thought about that? Jesus says you do that. Here's my translation. You love those who it's easy to love. Whoop-de-doo. 
That's the way it would say it if I was writing it. Whoop-de-doo, big deal. You're not proving anything. You're not doing anything. Jesus calls us, he says there, what you are doing is, it, what are you doing out of the ordinary? What are you doing out of the ordinary, Jesus says. In other words, he's calling us to be extraordinary, to do extraordinary things, things that are outside of ourselves, things that we couldn't do unless we were following God, things we couldn't do unless we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, things we could not do unless we have been reborn from above through the love of God. In other words, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a quid pro quo relationship with others. What I get, you get. You give me, I give you, and then we're okay. Right? It's not a tit for tat. That's not what, it, what we are called to do when we're called to love the way God loves. We are called to love all at any cost. And that is humanly impossible. Impossible to do. You won't do it by gritting your teeth and saying that you'll do it. Not over a lifetime. You won't do it. That is only coming from the, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is only received through faith in Jesus Christ. And he finishes off there, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving like this is what a mature follower does. Not a sinless follower, not perfect in the fact that you'll never make a mistake. You'll be mature. You will show yourself to be a legitimate follower of Jesus. As your heavenly Father is perfect, as he is mature, as he is complete, when you live out loving others this way, you will do the same thing. He's not calling you to a sinless perfection. He's not calling you to pretend that you have sinless perfection. Our pretending that we are sinless and perfect is what turns off the world to our inauthentic excuse me, claims because they know we aren't, are not. You know you are not. I know I am not. We're not called to be sinless, but we are called to love others in a radical way, to be disarmingly kind in how we respond to those that are around us. You say, well, that's hard. Well, welcome to following Jesus. Whoever told you it was going to be easy lied to you. It is going to be worth it. It is going to be awesome. It is the best possible way you can live this life in this world, but it is not easy. It is anything but easy. So, so what does this mean? How does this fit into how we try to say it here at Danville FBC? How does this fit into our mission here? Our desire to impact the world for Jesus. How does this fit in? The way we say it is we fight suffering in the world for the gospel of Jesus. If you go to fbcdan.com, that's exactly what you're going to see when you first click on the website. We fight suffering for the gospel of Jesus. We fight suffering. What causes suffering? Sin causes suffering. Satan loves suffering. Evil actions multiplies suffering. So we're not, we're not fighting each other or anyone else for that matter. We're fighting suffering. We're fighting sin. We're fighting Satan. We're fighting evil any possible way that we can because suffering has broken our world. Suffering is what none of us like to see in this world. No one likes to see injustice take place in this world. No one desires for that to happen. No one that, that claims to follow Jesus desires for that to happen. We don't like that our world is broken. That is who and what we fight. Sin, Satan, and evil. Not 
people. How do we do that? With punches and kicks? Is that what, I'm say- is that what we mean when we say fight? Evil, fight, suffering, punches and kicks, armies and bullets? Of course not. We disarm the enemy with kindness. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Because that's what Jesus did. And sometimes that word gets a bad rap, I think. You think being kind is, is easy? Give it a shot. Now, I'm not saying that you should be nice. I've said that before. I'm not calling you to be nice. Nice is fake. And nice is easy. Nice is willing to compromise things that shouldn't be compromised. Kindness never compromises the truth. Never compromises the truth. But it never compromises grace either. And that's hard. So we disarm the enemy with kindness. Nothing disarms anger and hurt or an injured person like authentic, radical kindness. Nothing disarms an angry person, a hurt person, an injured person, injured from this world because of things that have happened to them. Nothing disarms them like authentic, radical kindness. So we win the fight, catch this, by not fighting. We win the fight by not fighting. What do I mean? If you disarm the enemy, they can't fight. If you disarm Satan, he can't fight. We don't literally have to fight. We fight with kindness. We fight with radical kindness. We take the reason to fight away with radical, disarming kindness. There's no fighting radical kindness. You can't fight it. You ever tried? You ever thought about that? When someone is just legitimately kind to you, it's impossible to be mad at them. It's impossible to be mean to them. It's impossible to, to enact evil on them over time if you follow Jesus. <laughs> See, the thing is, and this is just this is mainly for guys. Not only for guys, but it's mainly for guys. See, <clears throat> this is my natural reaction that, that God continually has to chip away at. My natural reaction to evil is to punch it in the mouth. My natural reaction to injustice to seeing a kid go through something that a kid doesn't deserve, is I want to punch whatever is causing that in the face. Now, that's an easy reaction, but it doesn't do any good. It makes me feel good in the moment. It may stop it for a second, but it just continues. It, it, it goes on exponentially. What you're doing when you do that, when you respond to evil, when you retaliate against evil, thinking that it's manly and righteous, what you're really doing is unconditionally surrendering to evil. When you fight evil with evil, you're surrendering to evil. Instead of promoting good, promoting God, promoting love, making things better, you're really just making things worse for the situation and for yourself because you're allowing evil to, to rule and reign over you. It's like this story right here. This story, this story kind of stirred me up a little bit. Uh, it's from the Revolutionary War. A guy named Stephen Olford writes about this in a book called The Grace of Giving. He tells about a, uh, an old Baptist preacher in Pennsylvania that was friends with George Washington during the Revolutionary Era, right after the country kind of had, had come to be. And he had an enemy in his town. This pastor had an enemy in his town. His name was William Whitman. And William Whitman was an evil dude. 
that was mean, did all sorts of things to oppose the pastor, to humiliate this pastor. Peter Miller was the pastor's name. He does all these mean and, and horrible things to him. For some reason, uh, Peter is found guilty of treason. Excuse me, not Peter. Michael Whitman, the enemy, is found guilty of treason. And of course, the penalty for treason is death. And this pastor, Peter Miller, travels 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead on the behalf of Michael Whitman, to plead for the life of Michael Whitman. Of course, George Washington, the general of the time, says, says, I'm sorry, Peter. Remember, George and Peter are friends. So I'm sorry, Peter. I cannot grant you the life of your friend. He's committed treason. And Peter says, my friend, he's the bitterest enemy I got. And George Washington says, what? <laughs> you walk 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Well, that puts the matter in a whole different light. And he granted him his pardon. Now, that's radical kindness. That's difficult to live out kindness right there. That's what, that's what Jesus is calling you to. That kind of radical kindness. It's what he's calling me to. It's what he's calling this church to. Not easy things. Not entertainment. To radical kindness. Let's look at what Proverbs has to say about this. How can you be radically kind? Proverbs has some things to say about being neighbors with other people. Start with Proverbs 3, 29. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. We're going to go through seven, seven verses in Proverbs. Moving right along. 24, 17. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Don't be happy when they stumble. Proverbs uh, 24, 19, if I'm not getting out of order. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. 22, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. Proverbs 14, 21. It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Proverbs 21, 10. Evil people desire evil. Their neighbors get no mercy from them. And then Proverbs 12, 26 says, A righteous man guides his neighbor, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. Now those are seven verses right there, and for those of you who like to take notes or take a picture of that or write those scriptures down real quick, what are, we, what, are, what are those verses saying? If you spend time, hopefully in this next week, looking at those verses and pondering and meditating on the truth of those verses, what can we sum those up as saying? How, how can we be? What, did, what is it to be disarmingly kind? Well, the, the first one is wanting peace and goodness. You want peace and goodness. You desire peace and goodness for others. You want that to happen for all people and especially your enemies. That ain't happening unless you pray. That ain't happening unless God changes your heart, changes my heart, changes our heart. That is not something that is easy to do. 24, 17, dislikes others failing. Instead of, instead, of that, instead of that little smile that comes on the inside of you, when you see someone that deserves to fall flat on their face 
And you go, hmm, got what you deserved, didn't you, sucker? <laughs> That's easy. It's easy to be like that. It's natural to be like that. God's not calling us to natural living, supernatural living. Not jealous of others' success. Radical kindness is happy when someone else does well. Promotes peace with good works. That's what 25, 21, and 22 is saying. If, he's, if your enemy's thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. Promotes peace. In other words, it's not just don't do harm. It's actively do good to make peace happen. Shows honor, not contempt. 14, 21 is what that one's talking about. Shows honor, not contempt. It doesn't belittle its neighbor. Shows honor. Man, that's hard to do with people that you don't like. Doesn't compromise the truth. Again, I'm not, Jesus is not calling us to, to niceness. That's never the case in Scripture. We're not called to be nice. And when I say that, I mean to be fake, to be phony, to give in, to just say what someone wants to hear, to smile when, if, when you shouldn't, to say that's okay when it's not okay. That's, that's being nice. We're called to be kind, full-on truth, full-on grace all the time. Paul puts it a different way in Philippians 2.3. Uh, he says it like this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's another great definition of kindness. It's not from selfish ambition, what can I get? It's not from con- conceit, how can I get honored? How can I be special? How can I tell you how great I am? It's not from that. We don't live and conduct ourselves in relationships that way. But in humility, we do everything we can to build up others, to make others honored, to make others special, to do whatever we can to put a smile on someone else's face. Or, and also, at the same time, be willing to say the hard truth, even when it's uncomfortable for you and for me. doesn't compromise the truth. So what are we saying here? What are we saying here? How do we finish up today? If you put all this together, what are we saying? Kindness helps heal suffering and glorifies Jesus. That's what we're saying. We put all that together. All the scriptures we looked at, what Jesus is saying in Matthew, the Proverbs, treating your neighbors, you can sum it all up like that. What does being disarmingly kind do? It helps heal suffering and it glorifies Jesus which is what we've been called to do. It's what we say at the end of every, every service, right? To go and make disciples. That's how you make disciples. With kindness, not with fists. Although fists feel like they would be good sometimes. It's not the answer. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about here. Any way we can possibly do that, we want to try. Anything that we think might help bring healing to suffering, we're willing to try it. If it doesn't work, then we, then we can fix it. Like, like I hate the, the stigma out there that if, you, if you've prayed about something, you feel led to do it, you feel led to start a ministry or try a ministry, and if it doesn't work, then it was a failure. No, it wasn't. The failure is not trying ministry. That's the failure. So, you know, if God's laying something on your heart and you think that the church could be help facilitate that, if it's something that we can possibly do, then let's do it. Let's try it. Let's give it a shot. You know, we did that last summer. We weren't sure how that food program was going to work out. We kind of had a vague understanding of it. It ended up being a tremendous success and a tremendous blessing to the people that we helped, 
and most of the time more to the people that were helping than the people that were being helped. Now, it could have gone horribly bad. Did that mean it was a mistake? No. The mistake would have been not trying. The mistake would have been not doing something kind for another human being. So we want to do anything that we can, anything that we can to help bring healing to suffering so that we can glorify Jesus. So that only leaves us with one I don't want to say something I don't mean to say. <laughs> Catch myself. That only leaves us with one question for this week. That leaves us one question for you individually for this week. As every Jesus follower that is here in this room and is listening through the camera, we're going to finish with one question for you. What are you going to do to make kindness cool again? Because it's not very cool anymore. It's easy to be a, a jerk. It's popular now to stand from a place like this and be a bully and talk about what you're going to do and all this kind of stuff. That's easy to do, to be a jerk, to be a bully. What are we going to do to make it cool again, in the church at least, to be kind? Kindness does no harm. How radical can you be with your kindness. How far are you willing to go? Jesus called us to go all the way. How far are you willing to go with your kindness? How much of, how much of heaven do you want to bring to earth? You say, what, what, what do you mean like practically? What do you mean how to, how to do that? Well, just go to the things that mean the most to us. How much of your time are you willing to sacrifice to make a difference in kindness in someone's life? How much of your Money are you willing to sacrifice to make a difference for kindness in someone's life? How much of your, ready for this, reputation, your status, are you willing to sacrifice for kindness to bring healing to someone's life so that Jesus is glorified? Those are the things that mean the most to us. Our name, our money, and our time. God says, be kind to everyone, even your enemies, even the persecutor. Church, I'll tell you right now, when that becomes our heart, that one sentiment, that we're going to be kind to bring healing to suffering to glorify Jesus, regardless of cost, when that becomes our heart, we will literally turn this community upside down. We talk about it, we pray about it, we say we want to do it. I'm telling you right now, radical kindness, making kindness cool again, can do that. But it's going to come at a cost. To you and to me and to all of us, it will come at a cost. But it will also come with an eternal reward. It will be more than worth it. Whatever we invest in this life, God says he'll give back times and times again in eternity. What are you willing to do to make kindness cool again? Whatever God lays on your heart, do it. And if it's something that you think the church can help facilitate and make it grow, then bring it to us and let's see if we can do it. If it fails, it didn't fail. <laughs> it's just a chance to learn to do it a different way. If it doesn't work, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have done it. The only thing we shouldn't do is nothing. That's the only thing we shouldn't do. All right, I'll finish up uh, with a prayer. We'll finish up with a song. 
Um, and then after that, I have a couple of announcements to remind you of before we finish with the Great Commission. Um, but as we pray, I just pray that you will, you will ask God what it is that you can do to make this happen. What it is you can do to have an answer to that question right there. And when he lays it on your heart, man, let's get busy doing it. God, we come to you today. We thank you for Jesus, God. We can't be kind the way you are kind without you, without what you have done. God, you came to earth as a human being, Jesus, the King of kings. God, we thank you that faith in that truth is what saves us for eternity. Faith in that truth is what rebirths us to be heaven bringers to this earth right now in this, in this life, God. We are, we, are, we are given the ability to bring healing to suffering, to bring healing to those that, that don't know you, God, to bring healing in a radical way, to be kind, God, in a way that disarms Satan takes his power away. God, we're not called to fight Satan. We're called to be kind. And by doing that, you fight him. Lord, we thank you that ultimately you've already won the battle. You've already won the war, God. And we pray and look forward to the day that when you come back to rule and reign forever and ever and ever, God, we pray that we will have done everything we can to bring as many people to faith in you that can be there for that as well, God. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy this morning, God. And we thank you that Jesus is all of those things to us. We pray it in his matchless name. Amen. Please stand.